This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. We've had the privilege on this podcast of hearing from several leaders throughout the blueberry industry. It's been fun to pick their brains about where this industry has been, how it looks today, and where we see it going. We have another one of those leaders on the show today. Court Brazelton is my guest. Court grew up in the blueberry industry and is a second generation owner and co-CEO of Fall Creek Nursery. He is also the founder and current board member of the International Blueberry Organization and is active leader with the USHBC and NABC Court. I know you and your family have quite the legacy in blueberries. Your, your dad has been serving in his capacity as the chair of the USHBC Health Research Committee since USHBC was founded. And, uh, and we've had other guests on the show like Mark Hurst and Tom Avanellis who have pointed back to Fall Creek's breeding program as, as fundamental in their very beginnings and success. And so for those who do not know you or maybe you can kind of give us a quick overview of Fall Creek in general and then your perspective on how you became co-CEO of the company and maybe what the heck a co-CEO is actually. So we'll start there. Yeah. So Fall Creek's been in business for um, just over 42 years now. Uh, it was founded by my parents in the late 70s. They were back to the land hippies from California. My father's family is actually in the wild blueberry business in the Northeast, and he wanted to do blueberries too. It was part of their vision. And uh, there's no wild blueberries here on the West Coast, so they decided to get involved in cultivated highbush blueberries. And early on in that process, realized that there was a real need in the industry for um, decent quality nursery stock. We brought in partners. There were other partners in the business for the first 30 years in the company's history. And during that period, really moved our focus to clean plant propagation, finding the best genetics around the world, working with all these different breeding programs. We were actually the first company to secure a license to the first patented variety from, at that time, Heart Research, now Plant and Food Research of New Zealand back in 1985, 86. And back then, uh, I think my dad's question was, what's a patent? Is that good? We got a, started paying attention to the variety thing real early and realized that genetics play a big role in every horticultural crop. And I don't think it was quite the magic fairy dust then that it's become now, but that became a major focus. And the other big part of our history beyond just making blueberry plants and trying to bring good genetics to growers has been figuring out how to help growers grow those plants and those genetics and build their businesses. Uh, reasonably early in our history, we made the decision to not grow fruit and to not sell fruit and to not compete with our customers. In fact, we just our research farms are now finally produced such a small commercial crop, we barely qualify to actually be a grower member <laughs> of, the, of the USDA commission. We're just not growers. We don't compete with our customers. We serve growers and we serve uh, the growing handling companies of the industry. Today, we operate in a lot more places than we used to. In the first 30 years of our history, we uh, had a little bit more diverse ownership structure and were focused on growing in the West Coast, servicing the West Coast and the US, and then had a small export business. And had gotten really involved in licensing out genetics from different breeding programs, be it far beyond our own. We still work with over two and a half dozen breeding programs from around the world and from public institutions to private programs and started uh, doing a licensing business abroad and getting more involved in what was happening in other places. And in many regards, my dad is kind of the Johnny Appleseed of blueberries. 
And uh, in 2010, we made the decision to, rather than expanding products, if, as we decided we wanted to grow our business, we decided to stay in blueberries. But in our business, there's only so much business to be done in different places. We'd been serving a lot of folks in the US and elsewhere and realized that there was an opportunity to deliver the same value, bringing good genetics to the table, growing good plants and helping our customers be successful. And we started doing that elsewhere. We went to Mexico. And since then, we now operate in a few locations in Latin America and Europe and Africa and are working on other things as well, just doing the same thing everywhere. You know, you find labs, you'll find uh, tissue culture propagation, rooting and hardening at acclimatization facilities, nurseries, demo and research operations, and a team that helps growers grow the plants and the varieties. Today, I would say, you know, kind of like a new farm. Anytime a grower makes a new farm, they usually do it better than the last one. Our oldest now business unit is the United States and Canada business unit. That's one of the regions we operate in. And I don't think we deliver near the value proposition that we do in some of the other newer places, because every time you do it new, you do it a little bit better. And so actually, as it pertains to the US and Canada, one of the things I'm excited about is actually doing a better job at being Fall Creek again here at home. Just like you're putting in that new farm, you do that different than you did the last one. And frankly, we've learned a lot. And the other fun thing about our business now is because we do operate in a lot of places, we see a lot and we learn a lot. And, you know, working with our customers, there's an opportunity to bring those learnings from around the world back here, back home. You know, no one has a monopoly on the best ideas and the best practices. You find them all around the world. As my dad says, you know, when you travel, you find little pearls and you never know where you're going to find them. So Oscar and I together are co-CEOs. We kind of divide our roles. There's things I'm primary on, things he's primary on. We're fully accountable for all those things. So we divide up supervision, projects, regions, reporting, that sort of a thing. I think the stereotype would be maybe I look outside a little bit more and he looks inside a little bit more, though that does change hands here and there too. Oscar is immigrated to the US. Oscar's from Catalonia in Spain. He was actually in leadership in Chiquita for a long time. So together, Oscar and I share this seat, actually work together in a largely sibling way as well. It drives everybody crazy. But that's that's a very long-winded background. No, that's okay. I mean, I think people want to hear all about it. And, and, and to the extent that I think you're talking about places in the world that you, know, you are and we monitor, it would be timely to move to our crop report. So we took a break during the holidays, but now we're back with reports from important blueberry growing regions like Mexico, Peru, and Chile. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for the Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry areas around the globe. Today, you'll hear from Luis Vegas in Peru and Juan Soria Morales in Mexico. This was recorded on January 6th, 2021. Hello, everybody. This is Luis with the Crop Report from Peru. The season in Peru, it's winding down pretty fast. The volumes are dropping pretty fast. And over the last weeks, we have been seeing volumes below our previous season. Now to get into the detail, up until the end of, of 2020, Peru, over the course of the season, Peru exported 338 million pounds worldwide, an increase of 32% versus our previous season, when we exported 255 million pounds. From this total volume, 53% uh, was shipped into the U.S. So that's the big picture of fresh blueberry shipped from Peru. Our forecast for the whole season uh, is of 360 million pounds. We are still projecting uh, shipments during the course of January and maybe a little bit in February. So up until this point, Peru has already shipped almost 95% of the volume forecasted for this 
season. So this is the, the report from Peru. I'm going to share the information that we have already for Mexico. For the last uh, three weeks, we have had interesting volume during the weeks 51, 52, and 53. Mexico has exported a total of 7,800,000 pounds. From this, 7,460,000 pounds were exported to North America market, including the United States and Canada. Till today, Total Mexico exports are 25,200,035 pounds. And from this volume, we have sent to the United States only 24,500,000 pounds. Compared to the previous season, the volume exported to the United States is 15% higher. That is the complete report that we have, Casey, and we are glad to, to share it with you. Thank you. Thank you so much to our colleagues from around Latin America who take the time to participate in these crop reports. I've received some great feedback from folks in our industry who really appreciate these reports coming in from Chile, Peru, and Mexico. All right, we're back here with Court Brazelton, co-CEO of Fall Creek Farm and Nursery in Oregon. Court, maybe a good place to start is just discussing how things are moving along with genetics. We spent a little time with Paul Lyrene and that was an incredible conversation. And I know you know who he is, you know, but a lot has changed and, and he referenced private breeding companies like yourself in that interview that had encouraging things to say and can some concerns on companies like yours. And so I just thought it would be a good place to start and just, you know, getting your impression of how things are going, obviously there at Fall Creek, but as you see breeding and genetics moving forward for our industry, as you described as being essentially the, the future success that we can see in innovation. Uh, let's start there. Absolutely. And I think we could be talking about a lot of produce commodities when we talk about this. So these trends, I think we'll touch on here are by no means unique to blueberries. This is you know, every crop has its own unique dynamics. Apples are a little different from grapes, a little different from blueberries, a little different from strawberries, a little different from, from salads and, and from peppers, tomatoes, veg, that sort of a thing. But in all these cases, there's really two major trends that are happening in the breeding world in general in high value produce. And different crops are further along this path. And in many regards, blueberries are, are actually quite a ways behind. There's a big lag, 10 to 15 year lag on both science and business model and strategy. In blueberries, you know, look at apples in terms of their, particularly on the science and their business model, both of them, they're, they're quite ahead. You know, you look at the way apples get branded and some of that's a byproduct of the uniqueness of the crop. So two things on the science side and on the breeding side, blueberry breeding for a long time, with the exception of some of the work that people like Dr. Lyrene did, like, uh, like Arlen Draper did around some of that early development to advance the crop and essentially create the low chill category by bringing in these other ploidy types, uh, other species, and doing these interspecific hybrids to create the low chill category and now the no and low chill category. A lot of the breeding that's gone on, public and private, has just been traditional cultivar development. And as we look to the future, one of the most important things that needs to happen to get our industry the solutions it needs is a ramped up game around using the science. That's the genetics and the genomics work. That doesn't mean GMO, but that means actually mapping the genome, understanding how traits tie into specific genes and their expression, and then being able to accelerate the breeding process so we can actually get to the cultivars that growers need to be competitive in the future and that produce the fruit the market wants. A good variety is two things. Growers want to grow it and they can be successful growing it and the market wants the fruit. That is a good cultivar going forward. And I can tell you, we have built a business at times leaning on one of those things rather than both. And that is something that we need to change as a company. On the science side, there's actually a lot of work driving towards adaptation to the different regions. The holy grail is being able to machine harvest for fresh and deliver the quality that consumers really want 
that, you know, there's a lot of retailers who say, I don't want machine harvested fruit. And we're, we call ourselves successful today as an industry where we sneak it in and get away with it, right? That's not delivering value. So there's all those agronomic horticultural side issues. And then it's driving that quality in. And that's on the breeding side. That's the work. But there's just so many advances, particularly in the low and no-chill category right now, that are resulting in big leaps in fruit quality. And that's happening in high-chill now, too. It's just so much of the high-chill industry in North America and in Chile, and to a lesser degree in Europe, they're kind of established. And it's unfortunately a lot of the big developments that have put out better quality, with the exception of a few cultivars that I think are really good, is more recent. So the industry established heavily before some of the big jumps in genetics that happened. So there's there's big jumps in quality that are here and are coming from, from lots of breeding programs. This is None of this is unique to any one company. This happened 15 years ago in grapes. It's now really happening in blueberries. So the quality of the genetics in terms of the agronomics for the grower, the yield potential, the harvest cost, the regional adaptation, being able to grow in these different regions, and then the fruit quality that's getting out is, is advancing faster. On the business side, the other big change is, you know, historically, for most of the history of the blueberry industry and for a long time in other crops until the last 20, 30 years, most of the breeding was led by public institutions, universities and the like, driven by needs, business needs and horticultural needs to be able to grow the crop in other regions and strategic goals. A lot of private companies have said, look, we need to be able to control our destiny. We want to deliver this flavor profile. We want to support our brand with proprietary genetics. And so it is absolutely true that more and more breeding in all horticultural crops, this could be vegetables, this could be apples, this could be you name it, is moving private. And even when there's public institutions, increasingly the public institutions are controlling access and licensing of that. One of our big goals as a company is to continue to keep the vast majority of our focus on serving the broad industry and assuring that growers have access to competitive genetics. The fact is a lot of one of the biggest business trends right now in blueberries and other berries and other crops is a lot of the best genetics are tied up with marketing organizations who are happy to give you access to those varieties as long as you tie into their platform. So if I'm a grower and I want to access those varieties or want to grow those varieties, that's great, but I'm going to sign up those genetics belong to that marketer. So I'm going to sign up with that marketer. I'm going to grow that fruit for that marketer and be obligated to sell that fruit with that marketer because it's their intellectual property. So continued access to good genetics is critical to the industry as a major business trend. The other trend that I don't think is hitting quite yet is wherever the genetics come from, be it, you know, be it a nursery, be it a public institution, be it a marketer, growers need more support to be successful with these things. The fact is new varieties create new opportunities. They also bring new risk. You know, as my dad always said, you got three years to love them and 20 years to hate them. And so the more that we can, as an industry, and when I say as an industry, in this case, I mean the breeding side of the industry, we have to work and do better at de-risking the adoption of new genetics. In some cases, you know, there's a business model component to this, cost of access. There's also a research component to this. Our industry needs more applied research. Simple as that. I think in the case of uh, things in the US, you look at where the support used to be for extension services as well as research and development versus where it is today. And I think we've fallen behind. I think it's a missed opportunity in the US. And I think there's an opportunity for the NABC, for example, to get much more engaged and really push hard to see if we can get more support in the farm bill to rebuild extension for specialty crops like blueberries. We need it. We grow blueberries in all these places. And we used to have really active and engaged extension. And they were these trusted resources. Those resources have been dwindling for years. And I think it's an example of something where we could actually recover some ground as an industry here. None of those things change the business overnight, but those are things that I'd love to see more of. Well, and, and some of what's changing you know, related to your role on the NABC Legislative Committee is just as the new administration moves in and, and we're looking at 
a 2021 year where, you know, we're all trying to reintroduce ourselves in Washington, D.C. with the changing of the administration and Congress. You have been a proponent in my ear on this sort of thing in light of circumstances that would otherwise be, you know, a continu- continued dwindling of resources to our, our growers. You know, you've been a great service to the industry in terms of providing insights like you did about legislative activities. And, and uh, you also serve on the procurement task force where you're helping us kind of look at inventories and, and, and work there with USDA to make determinations on blueberry purchases. So, you know, very, always very insightful. You, you always are uh, kind of free with your thinking and considerations for where the market's conditions are going. But you're challenged by the fact that you are the guy who people see as being the one that's, you know, populating the world with all this production. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've got some thoughts on that, you know, reputationally where that comes from. But I mean, I just think it's it's something that, you know, people attribute to some of the challenges they're facing. Uh, where would I go with this? Um, our our business and has as it's been since its inception is a reflection of the state of the industry and where it's going more so, I think, than being a leader of these outcomes. I'm not convinced we deserve the credit we get on some of these things, even when they're critiques. You know, we didn't invent the low chill or the no chill opportunity. Have we been involved at the ground floor in helping growers around the world, be it California or Eastern Washington or Mexico or Peru or Chile or South Africa? Have we been, or Spain and Morocco, have we been involved in cracking the code of how to grow blueberries there, how to how to make it work and how to serve new and existing markets and different windows, evening out the supply curve, all those things? Yes, guilty as charged. Was it already in progress and gonna happen anyway? Of course, we could make that argument, but I think there's a fair critique. Some would say this is good and some would say this is bad. I think it's it's accurate to say that at uh, many points, because of our business model and the way we operate it, we have accelerated that process in a number of these places by virtue of our business model. Do I think that our involvement at times has resulted in things being a little more orderly? I think so. You know, keeping the industry clean of viruses and diseases in, in the fields, making sure that the plant material is clean, making sure that there's a continuous flow and, and genetics available to the whole industry here at home and, and in elsewhere so the growers have access to, to decent varieties and aren't frankly tied up in, um, in marketing programs if they don't want to be, if they want to have that flexibility. You know, I'm not sure if this is the evil empire, if this is the rebel alliance or whatever we are. I, I, I'm not sure I view myself either Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker. I think I view myself a little bit more like Chewbacca or maybe, maybe Han Solo would be cooler actually. Um, but, uh, I'd have to think on that one. I definitely know I'm not Yoda cause I ain't that smart, but, uh, the fact is we've kept our focus on serving independent growers at home and abroad. And, and we care deeply about the competitiveness of growers. And frankly, I'm also proud, and I would share this, of the fact that in a number of the places we operate, we've created a lot of opportunity in places that are really quite poor, where people don't enjoy the same opportunities we have, frankly, in the United States, You know, where wages have gone from 10 bucks a day to $30, $40 a day because the industries come in. Now, now we didn't do that. We contributed to that. In a lot of ways, there's kids now have shoes. The schools have books, things that we've helped these communities. And when I say we, I'm talking about the produce industry. Um, This has been a trend, not just in blueberries, but lots of crops where there has been an opportunity to balance out the the year-round supply curve. And there's been an opportunity to grow supply in competitive regions like the Pacific Northwest or like California. 
because they do have competitive advantages on yield and quality or the potential to do that. And we've served that. That has balanced out the supply curve because the opportunity is there. You know, the solution to high prices is high prices, right? <laughs> if the price is high, people will chase that price until the price goes down. That's produce. That's every business. That's supply and demand. There's no structural way to prevent market dynamics unless we want to move towards uh, command and control economies. And having been exposed to those as well, I can tell you, I don't want to live in a command and control economy. Business is business. The other thing I'd say is something that's also true is we have embraced the reality of the evolution of the produce commodity. For a long time, there's, there's this supply-driven opportunity. This is in that article I wrote at the beginning of 2020 before the pandemic on you know, the paradigm shift 2020. The fact is, there was an opportunity for an abnormally long time in blueberries to just have blueberries, particularly in these broad windows where there wasn't any product for a variety of reasons. There were horticultural reasons it was hard to do. There were climatic reasons, political, geopolitical limitations on doing it. And as those things work themselves out, the science, the horticulture, the genetics, the practices in the field, the field infrastructure, now substrate growing, all these new growing regions and existing growing regions, new technologies, what it's done is it's made it possible for us to create the supply. And at the same time, though, even while that supply was getting created, consumption was still growing because we were such a new commodity. You know, it's not like citrus. Citrus has been around for 4,000 years. So cultivated highbush blueberries are so new. And we had such great growth in consumption and demand. It actually kept us in sort of a prolonged adolescence. We stayed in that supply building opportunity phase longer. And what it did is it allowed us to keep doing a lot of the same things without the pressure to change or innovate. Now we're entering a phase where we're starting to have enough product a lot of times of the year and the market's starting to get more selective, which means we go from that supply-driven period to the quality-driven period. So the the three stages of the evolution of a produce commodity, and they can recycle through this again. There's a supply-driven period, short or long. There's a quality-driven period where the market tends to have enough supply to be able to do a program or to be able to have the product on the shelves all the time or set up more consistency in pricing to the retailer, pricing to consumer. And then they start choosing quality. It increases movement. What is quality? I mean, again, we can argue that quality is the absence of shrink and high movement too, right? Rather than getting into fruit attributes. Because I think, you know, people can complain about the Elliott variety. I can walk you out to a field Elliott right now, show you a nice berry. The challenge is that's not the same berry that ends up to most consumers when they get Elliott, right? But it's about that consistency of availability, that consistency of product, and that consistency of quality. And I think part of that, honestly, one of the biggest things is that absence of negative experiences. That's where we're going now in this quality phase. Long-term, it's value creation. You look at what happened in bag salads. First, there was just salad, right? It was out and it was just, you know, might buy a head of lettuce. And then there was this period where the, the quality of the veg and the, and the salads got better. Then we had these clean wash bag salads. They could throw anything in a bag. It was ready to eat. That was a big deal. Now it's all the specialty stuff, specialty packaging. And now we're freaking out because of the use of plastic. So they're looking at new ways to approach that. But it's constantly chasing that value proposition on flavor, on product, on packaging, on all these things. And that's not before we get even into the ESG stuff that affects so much of this. That'll be the next phase. And there's companies focused on that. Genetics lays over that. Year-round supply lays over that. Improving supply chain lays over that. The disruptive impact of e-commerce on retail is going to play into that. When a consumer goes into a store today at a retailer, they pick their fruits and veg. And when they take them home, if it wasn't that good, they partially blame themselves. Fact, oh, I didn't grab the right one. If I click on that Amazon Fresh thing and that comes to my door, I didn't pick that milk. If I get expired milk, I'm blaming them. I'm calling them say, yo, you sent me expired milk. If they pick my blueberries and those aren't very good, that's an issue. That e-commerce driver is going to be a big factor in moving towards quality as well. My company's in the same battle, struggling to be competitive like everybody else. We've had some success and we've had some setbacks. 
And we need to deliver on that value. We have to breed, grow, and serve. So we have to breed great varieties, work with all these breeding programs out there to bring great varieties in to the industry. We got to make them available to growers and grow good plants and make them available to the industry. Don't limit access, make them available. And we have to de-risk those varieties and those plants and help growers be successful. But the challenge is, I don't think we always know what the solution is. And so we need to get better at that too. Well, I know some people are going to appreciate hearing you say that and certainly, uh, you know, recognizing that, you know, there is this innovation afoot. And we've been talking about it at USHBC for, you know, over a year now. Just the, the next blue wave is going to be different than the way we got here. Totally. Need totally. For us to keep focused on the fact that, you know, like you, there's a vanishing point that we can't even see yet for the opportunity. And, mm-hmm. and we get too focused on this evolution point that we're at. Uh, as being a negative, we're not looking ahead enough to see where there still is all this room of growth in channel markets, in the genetics that are still coming. I mean, all the things we just got done talking about, right? Like, it, there's it's a small industry still, Casey. It's yeah. much smaller. I mean, we're a tenth, less than a tenth the size of global strawberries as a crop. I mean, we're still comparatively small. We're a lot bigger than we used to be, and we got growing pains. But there's a lot of room. Thirty-eight percent household penetration, less than half the figure of strawberries. Not that strawberries are a blast all the time right now either. To be honest, strawberries are a little bumpy. But there's good times and bad times in straws. But the fact is, sorry, strawberry people, blueberries are so much better than other products when they're good. Blueberries are awesome. I don't view other berries as competitors. We're going to knock out the junk food. We can beat bananas. Blueberries are just a better product. And we have an opportunity to substantially grow the market and the consumption of our product. And I think the USHBC at times is doing an increasingly better job at coordinating that. This technology forum that we're continuing to work on to get more information, just get visibility into all the stuff happening, get all the vendors, all the researchers. You know, the research happens in public institutions. It happens in private institutions. A lot of the time, it's just getting it out there and getting it visible so that people can tinker with it and engage. That's right. That's right. Well, look, you've given us, I think, a lot here just to consider, not just about the genetics, but the the opportunity that it's ahead, the inspiration, I think, that we're looking for in 2021 that, you know, we kind of put a bookend into 2020 and let's move on and and let's think about, you know, all the work that is still yet ahead that we can be collaborating on even as competitors. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, your insights on that today, Court, and joining us on the, on the podcast. I know lots of people who may or may have never met you, but, you know, no Fall Creek by name. I think today was a real great opportunity to kind of get to know you more and where your company's going. And, and certainly if they knew their father, you know, getting to know who you are as the co-CEO of Fall Creek as we go here into the future. So appreciate your time today, Court. Right on. Well, happy new year, everybody. It's January when this comes out and uh, go blueberries. Go blueberries. Thanks, Court. (laughs) All right. Bye, guys. Well, I always enjoy talking to industry leaders like Court and uh, today's conversation. I really appreciated his candor in discussing both what he sees happening in the industry, but also for his own company and just kind of, you know, the sense I get from Court generally is it's a lot of work, the business that we're in. Even those who, you know, have what appears to be a good thing have a lot of vision for what they're working towards. And, uh, you know, that was a big takeaway for the conversation. And hopefully for those of you listening that you heard as well. But some of the other things that we talked about that are top of mind, my key takeaways start with just the area genetics in which they operate. You know, a good blueberry variety has two things. Growers want to grow it and the market wants the fruit. And I like the simplicity of some of the ways that Court was able to kind of explain the business that we're in and the need to be able to deliver on that. 
And then ultimately, you know, just to put a fine point on the work we're doing at USHBC that ties back to this conversation today is just the need to engage retail and then be able to translate that value back to the grower. We absolutely agree on that. And, and that's something that I think the Grab a Boost of Blue campaign, it, you know, created essentially by the peers of this industry, the leadership of the industry, the promotion committee. You know, I think we're, we're on to something with this campaign. It's not just a promotion marketing campaign. It's actually a positioning of the blueberry so that people can really understand the nuances and nature of what this amazing fruit can do. And, and in such a short phrase, it's kind of our got milk opportunity for uh, where we're going from here. So we need the industry to rally around this. And it's so exciting to see so many people jumping on board so early. But if you haven't heard or you're just hearing me talk about this now, check it out. We're engaging people with the licensing agreement. We need you to sign on, get the resources, download the things that we have for you. So everybody's armed with the best resources available in this industry going into the new year. So I'm excited about the new year. I'm super excited about you know what those things are that we're going to be delivering in the new year, the program work that we've got underway. And I look forward to working with everyone who's listening, uh, who may have questions about where we're going. They've got a resource in USHBC in this new year, and we're looking forward to working with everyone. So that's it for episode 29. We're closing in on 10,000 downloads, which is just incredible. I, I really appreciate everyone who's taken the time to listen to today's episode, but all the episodes, it's fun to watch this podcast grow. We'd love your help to help us reach that milestone of 10,000 downloads. So if you could just please share this episode. I'd also love to see those of you who you know want to provide us our five stars or however many stars and comments, you know, wherever you're listening to this podcast, those kinds of things bring uh, this podcast to the top of the listener charts. And, and, you know, we really appreciate the industry's interest in helping us spread the news about blueberries and this business that we're in. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here in the business of blueberries.